lovelies to the Ultimate Dance Business Podcast. My name is Deborah Laws, the dance business expert. My passion is to help you turn your passion into profit while guiding you to work less and earn more. I'm super excited to share interviews with you that I know will inspire and motivate you in your schools, as well as my solo shows where I shall be sharing some great tips and strategies. So if you love the show, please do remember to review, subscribe and share it with your fellow dance boss friends. So let's get stuck into the business of dance. Hey everybody, so today I am interviewing Denise Duffield-Thomas. Now Denise is known as the money mentor expert and she helps online entrepreneurs make money and change the world. She helps entrepreneurs and business owners just like you to charge premium prices by releasing the fear around money and create first class lives. Her books, Lucky Bitch, Get Rich Lucky Bitch, Chillpreneur and her newest book, chill and prosper give a fresh and funny roadmap to living a life of abundance without burnout her money boot camp has helped over eight and a half thousand students from all around the world and denise likes to describe herself as the lazy introvert she's a hay house author and an unbusy mum of three she owns rose farm and lives by the beach in sunny australia Now, Denise is one of, if not the, favourite author, and I have all her books on my shelves. Her books and her podcasts have literally changed my whole outlook on running a business, and I cannot wait to share this wonderful, fun interview that I had with Denise, which I think you're going to love. Denise, thank you so much for joining me today. I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to have you on today's episode. Um, as I've just explained, it's super early here in the UK. And um, for all my listeners that know me, I'm not a morning person. So this is very, very cool that I've got up at this time in the morning to speak to you because obviously you're over in Australia, down under. I am. I'm so honoured that you got up so early. I appreciate that because, you know, sleep's really precious for us. So thank you. Thank you. Well, no, I would, I would do it in a, do it in a shot. It's, um, it's something that, um, I'm very excited about because I have been reading your books. I think since the first one came out, I've read them all. Very excited for your new book. I know we normally kind of talk about, you know, what you've got coming up sort of later on in the, um, interview, but actually I'd love to dive in now because this is the part I'm most excited about is your, your new book. Um, and I tell all my clients and all my listeners about your books all the time. People say, what books would you recommend? And yours is always the first. In fact, your books and also Mike McCallowich's books. And he was my first, oh, Mike. was my very He's first pod- podcast interview. So to have got you both on my show in the first couple of months is just like dream for me. So um, yeah, the books, I mean, what can I say? They've, they've been They've been pretty life-changing for me, actually. And for those of you listening that haven't read or come across Denise's books before, um, they are something that I think every entrepreneur or in my industry, every, you know, dance school boss um, 
needs to grab copies of because, you know, I often talk, Denise, about, you know, how important our mindset is in business. You know, there's always a figure that goes around, isn't it? 80% mindset, 20% what you do and implementation. And I think it's even higher than that. Like, I think it's, it's, it's so important that our mind is, um, not focused, not just, you know, ambitious and driven, but it's that self-belief, isn't it? It's what we think about ourselves that makes the difference. It's all the difference because everything else nowadays you can get a course on, you can find a checklist, you can find information online for free. But if your mindset's not in the right place, you you are going to sabotage yourself. You're not going to have um, the belief in yourself to get things going. And, you know, I'm I'm a dancer myself and I can see how, you know, some of the mindset lessons that you grow up with in the dance world can make it really hard to succeed in business too. So I'm thrilled we're having this conversation because I think there's going to be a lot of layers around that. And even though, um, you know, my book, Chill and Prosper, that's the newest one, it's not about the dance world, but it's applicable to any industry because you have to know yourself and you have to get your head in the game to play the game. Otherwise, everything's so much harder than it needs to be. Every industry is so much harder. Yeah, absolutely. And with the books that you've written already, like I try and say, people say to me, well, which one should I start with? Um, how would you, like in a nutshell, describe, I don't know, maybe in a couple of sentences, each of the previous three books and how this new one is going to be different for everyone? So Lucky Bitch is, was my first book and that one's about manifesting and about how I um, really deliberately experimented with the law of attraction to see if it would work for me. And it did in in very crazy ways in, in terms of I won bingo, I won a scholarship, I had a bank error in my favor, and then I won an all-expenses-paid travel trip around the world. Wow. So that was a, a really fun book to, to write. Get Rich, Lucky Bitch is about money and our money mindset blocks that we all have to deal with. Um, and you know, that's applicable again for any industry, anyone who wants to look at their money. And then I wrote a book called Chillpreneur. And then this new book is actually the updated version of that. So it's got a, a new name, new cover, and heaps of new content, including case studies. And that one, Chill and Prosper, is about how to design your business in a way that works for you. Because this whole like anti-hustle thing, even that is different for all of us. You know, we have to know ourselves to be able to figure out how we can make business work better for us. And so much of that is a mindset game too. Mm, yeah. And so the way what I say to people is I feel like um, get rich, rich, lucky bitch is all around the kind of the way it can help you in life in general with your money mindset. Chillpreneur is more like the the business for, for the business owner, for the people that actually want to create it in their businesses. So it's kind of like exactly. you need to be the, 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 the home version and then the work version. <laughs> and, <laughs> exactly. Course, and Chill and Prosper, of course, is also the name of your podcast, which I love listening to as well. It is the name of my podcast. And it was really funny when the book the book first came out as Chillpreneur. I loved the name, but I hated the cover. And um, when Hay House, my publisher, asked me for a new version, I said, yes, but we have to have a new cover. And they said, well, we've never really liked the name. Can we change it? And I was like, fine, I'll just do it the same as my podcast. So, um, And also what they wanted was 
a post-pandemic book. And that's not to say it's about the pandemic. It's, you know, there's a couple of case studies in there, but it's more that the world had changed in so many subtle ways as well. And we're all different in the last couple of years, especially, you know, your audience, um, anyone who had a face-to-face business, it's changed forever. Um, And so that's why it just needed an update to acknowledge the realities of where we're at. But also people are asking me for case studies all the time of, how does it work in my industry? How does it work in my industry? So there's a lot of different um, people in there talking about how they've been able to embrace more ease in their business. Um, Because sometimes that is a mindset game, right? We feel like we have to do everything ourselves. We feel like we have to work really hard or we don't deserve it. Um, And so often the ease part of it um, can be really hard for us to get our heads around. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And I I sometimes feel, and I think I I always say, particularly in my industry, (laughs) particularly in my industry, but you know, maybe it's for all industries, but you know, I feel like for dancers in particular, we're taught that it's just hard work. It's always going to be hard work because we're always striving for perfection. And so I think when that translates to people that are working in the arts and in the, in my industry, but in running a business, they still feel like they've got to graft like round the clock. It's, it's not going to be successful if they're not, you know, constantly kind of striving and, and hustling and, you know, or I almost feel like we make it hard for ourselves because we think it should be hard. Well, I've got two stories in the book about this for dancers in particular. One is this mindset that we've been brought up with is always the show must go on. And I realized that that can be a double-edged sword for us. One, it gives us an amazing work ethic and, you know, you just learn from a young age to be unflustered if things go wrong. And that's great. I love that about the dance world. I think where it becomes um, too hard for us is one, we feel like we have to do everything um, no matter what. And so I see people in all industries, but particularly in the dance world too, they have to do everything themselves. They have to muck in. They don't always delegate. They don't build a team. They don't have the right people doing the right things on their team. And there's never a sense of, oh, I'm allowed to take time off. I'm allowed to take holidays. I'm allowed to take weekends off Um, because we've just been indoctrinated into this work ethic part of um, the show must go on. And I realized that myself when, you know, I just had a baby and I was asked to go on a TV show and I didn't want to in any way, shape or form. And But I just felt like I can't say no because the show must go on. And it was such a big realization for me to say, it's okay to not go on sometimes. And I've even heard this recently. I listened to um, a podcast called The Hamilcast, and it's all about Hamilton, the show, and they interview dancers and performers. And some of them, they'll say, like, I've got a six-month contract. If I miss one show, it's not that big a deal. And also, there's so many, you know, swings and understudies that they need to have a go as well. And it blew my mind because I was thinking, wow, I was just taught it doesn't matter if your leg's broken, like you just get you just on get on stage and yeah. <laughs> you do it, right? And it's just it's a real mindset shift to say, yes, and I don't have to do all of it myself. And it's not that big a deal if someone can fill in for me, or it's not that big a deal if you know, and I remember in my whole 10-year career of, of running Money Bootcamp, I've canceled one 
live call. And it was because I was really, really sick. And I just, I remember just feeling like such a loser because we just trained to do that, right? The second story that I put in there is related. I realized that a lot of my clients were taking me for granted because I was just mum to them. You know, I was used to, like, they would send me messages about anything and I would answer them. They would um, talk about anything in my group instead of sticking to the boundaries. They would tag me on Christmas Day. And I realized it was because I wasn't special. I was just mum that was always around. So I call it being the Mickey Mouse in your in your business because I noticed when I took my kids to see Disney on Ice or I went to Disneyland, both both things I love to do for me, I would go without them, is um, Mickey Mouse is treated as so special. You know, he always opens and closes the parades at Disneyland. There is Mickey Mouse paraphernalia everywhere. But I noticed whenever there's a show, when Mickey Mouse comes out, there's this fanfare and all of the characters turn and look at Mickey. It's a really big deal. And even my kids who didn't really grow up watching Mickey like I did, even they were like, wow, I have to pay attention because he's special because everything is about making him special. And so I realized when I was just being around all the time and being the mom of my business, nobody felt like I was special at all. So I had to bring in other people to help me hold the space. So then I could, when I came in, it was a little bit more like, oh, here's Denise, not just like, oh yeah, she's here she is again. She's here just to do stuff for us. And that might mean making little changes in your business of like, you do hire someone to come in and do the cleaning. You know, you're not also being the dance teacher, the creative brain of the business, the CEO, and also you're chasing invoices. You know, there's something there about it's okay for you to have a role in the business. It doesn't mean that you are up yourself or that you think you're too good to sweep your own studio floor because let's face it, when you start your business, you are everything. But there's just this little sense there that we can harness as performers to understand that there is a reason why the top performer gets their own dressing room. Even if you're if you're like, yeah, it's fine. I've, I've changed in my car before. I'm not too good to do it again. It's okay to graduate past that, if that makes sense. That makes so much sense. And we can really tell that you've got a dance background because <laughs> you're talking like one of us, which I'd love to ask you about in a minute. But just sticking with where we are at the moment, I think, you know, with my clients, this is this is a really huge um, uh, part for them because there's a real lack of confidence in themselves. Even, you know, the dance school owners, um, I, you wouldn't believe, Denise, I have to twist their arm behind their back just to get them to put their photo on their website. And I know right now there are listeners that are going, oh, that's me, <laughs> walking their dogs or doing their ironing, listening to the podcast going, oh, yeah, I'm not that comfortable like having information about me and what I've done in my past and, and photos of me. Like, surely it should be all about the kids. It's not about me. And, you know, we have, it's such a, a nurturing, heart-centered industry um, that historically, you know, I feel that there's this shame around, first of all, making it about us, about us being the Mickey Mouse that you just explained. Um, but also in terms of money, you know, actually being able to say, it's okay for me to make money. It's okay for me to drive a nice car. Like there's almost a feeling of if I have those things, 
then I can't possibly be a good dance teacher. And that's one of the things I was going to ask you about actually today. You know, how do you help those people that feel like I don't deserve lots of money because this is a serving industry and it's children? It's children, (laughs) exactly. There's a couple of things. One, again, look back at your own experience because there was so many times definitely in my dance um, background where, you know, we would go perform everywhere for the love of dance. You know, and I feel like this is used against teachers of saying you shouldn't make money because you're doing it for the love of dance. And I hear this in every industry. People say, I don't care about the money. I just want to help people. And dance teachers will say, well, I'm doing it because I love dancing. I love sharing it. And it feels like those two things have to be separate always. You know, I can help people or make money, never both. I can love dance or make money, but not both. I can love teaching children or make money, but never both. And it's not, doesn't have to be that binary. It's totally okay for you to make money because this is the affirmation I use. I serve, I deserve. Mm. I serve, I deserve. And, you know, when when you look at how much dance teachers sacrifice, um, you know, there's, I see people quit the industry because they're exhausted or they just never are able to create any stability for themselves because it feels like it has to be almost like a hobby, even though it's your whole life, right? (laughs) It's your life. (laughs) So I think we've got to stop weaponizing that love of dance against the industry and say, it's safe for me to make money and love teaching and care deeply about my children. And here's what I say to anyone in any industry. If you charge win-win pricing, where you feel good, they feel good, it's to your right target audience, all those things, you charge appropriately for what you do, it actually frees up a lot of bandwidth. Sometimes we just take up so much bandwidth. How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to pay the studio? How am I going to do this? If you don't have those thoughts and feelings, you actually can have a lot more energy to then be generous intentionally from your overflow. You can have intentional scholarships. You can, um, you know, add in free classes if you want to every now and again. There are ways that you can then give from your overflow, not always assuming that nobody can pay you or nobody wants to pay you. It frees up space to be intentionally generous in that way. The other flip side, and this is where whenever I talk to dance um, people in the dance world, I just want you to hear this so much. I believe that so much of my success is down to being a dancer. Um, My dance teacher was very, very introverted. So I would say we'd never have very intimate conversations. You know, I never felt like we had spoken conversations in in lots of ways because she was very, just very introverted person. She was very young when she started, but I consider her one of my greatest mentors. I'm going to get emotional here. Because my my home life was so um, uncertain. It was so, um, you know, like unpredictable in so many ways. But you know what's predictable? Dance. Dance is the same everywhere you go. I saw so many of my friends get into drug and alcohol problems, um, become teen parents really young. That would have been my path too, but I always had rehearsal. <laughs> um, I always had dancing and we weren't the best studio, you know, where we lived, but 
it was such a safe space for me. And so whenever, my mum still complains about the cost of, of dancing, by the way, occasionally. So I understand the push-pull sometimes that teachers have with parents. Um, but I've said to my mum, I said, you should actually get down on your knees and think, Simone. So Simone Mann is my dance teacher from Simone School of Performing Arts on the Central Coast in New South Wales. Because without her influence, I would be in a very different place today. And again, I don't think we've ever had a really deep and meaningful conversation, but she didn't need to. And I think that's that's the, the thing that so many dance teachers have never considered, that the leadership skills, the professionalism, the um, safe space, that is so valuable mm. for the rest of their lives. And I haven't been, I haven't done regular dance lessons for 20 years. Honestly, it informs every part of who I am today. Mm, that's so beautiful. And I know that everybody listening, you know, will um, be listening to that. And some people know this, you know, some people appreciate that. Um, but sometimes we forget as well, you know, and, and I think, you know, going back to the start of this thread, which was, you know, how do we charge what we're worth? You know, I think sometimes we've got to remind ourselves of what you've just said, of what it is exactly that we do that's that's so worthwhile. And um, what what I teach a lot of my clients comes directly from your books and things I've learned from you, um, which is what you've already covered, actually, which is this whole pretext that, you know, the more the more we earn, we don't have to go and and spend it on a pair of Louboutins. You know, we don't have to go and and spend it on on things that feel uncomfortable to earn money for. We can spend it so that it gives us freedom to spend more time with our family, or we can spend it on, as you said, being able to give back. And when I kind of, for a few, few of my members and a few of my clients that really struggle with their money mindset, you know, I say to them, if you earn more money, what could you do in your studio? Oh, I'd buy new bars. Oh, I'd buy new mirrors. Oh, I'd, I said, fine, then do it for those reasons. You know, if it feels more comfortable for you to earn more in order to be create a beautiful studio. You know, if that's what's really important to you, then do it for those reasons, you know, so that your kids aren't dancing in a in a shabby studio, you know. So there's it exactly. doesn't have to, Yeah, it doesn't have to feel like it's yucky, you know. Money doesn't have to be yucky, right? <laughs> It really doesn't. And, oh, God, I can imagine how cold um, dance studios get in England as well <laughs> in winter. Pay for nice, you know, heaters and things like that. The The other thing that I, um, I want to share that I think we can use, you know, with our backgrounds, I don't put myself on my website, on my social media, anything like that, because I feel like it's me or for for you know, my own gratification. So the affirmation that I use is my face is my fortune. And I actually think this is great uh, from performers because I don't necessarily get up and put hair and makeup on for myself, but it helps me to do it in my business because I know that people want to see a representation, you know, so I don't think, oh, cool, Den you know, Denise, Denise works for me, you know, Denise, lucky bitch, Denise, chillpreneur, she works for me. And it's not like it's a fake construct, but it's, it's also a role that I play in mm -hmm. some ways because I know it's important to people to see someone real, 
you know, stand up and say things. That's why people connect to businesses and stories. And so when I do podcasts, you know, I get up and I put on makeup, I put on some hair, you know, I literally put on hair extensions because it's part of that ritual for me of remembering when I would put on my dance costume, put on my makeup, get ready to perform. I'm not taking it personally and thinking, you know, this is me showing up as myself. It's a it's a character in some ways. And so people want to see who's teaching their children sometimes. And a photo on your website might help. Being, um, you know, showing your students online, showing yourself online, talking about what you do isn't being too big for your boots. It's just helping people see why would they would want to do it? You know, and marketing is performance in so many ways. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we talk, we've been talking a little bit today about confidence, you know, showing up confidently. And and if you can't, you know, if people are looking, who is this business owner? Who runs this school? What does she look like? And you're not there. Like, we're going to be teaching confidence to the kids. And yet we're putting out there, I'm not confident enough to, to show up and 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 be on my social media or to be in a photo. You know, I like to hide in the back. It's all about the kids. But we're not then projecting that we're teaching confidence because we're not able to do that for ourselves. Absolutely. And, you know, when, when my – so I've got two girls and a boy. And, of course, I wanted them to do dancing because I enjoyed it so much. But I was very intentional about finding a studio because I, you know – I wanted to make sure that it worked for me. If this is going to be part of my life as well as a dance mom, it has to work for me just as much as as my kids. And so the amount of research that I was trying to do, but it's very hard because a lot of dance studios, they don't have good websites. They don't have any information. They don't make it easy to find out. And you know, I was trying to find out things like, what's the parking situation like? Because I thought, again, if this is going to be my life, if my kids are going to end up doing as much dancing as I did, and I'm driving to a studio all the time, it needs to have decent parking. You know, who are the teachers? Who else is teaching? Um, Do they have things on their website about child protection? You know, do they take that part seriously? Are they serious about technique? And I have to tell you, Deb, I went to three dance concerts for kids that I I didn't even know a single person because it was so important to me. I wanted to see what's their choreography like? What are their costumes like? Are they wearing teeny tiny little costumes? Are they doing age-appropriate routines. You know, that's the sort of stuff that people are going to be researching. And it doesn't mean you have to have plastered all over about yourself. But I see the same symptom again of being shy and not wanting to share things about the studio. And I'm telling you, people are out there looking because they want it to be easy. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, people that are in my membership will be kind of smiling and laughing at this stage because all those things you've just said are all the things that I'm constantly hammering home. You know, if it's not convenient, if they can't get all the information they need in three clicks, then they're just going to go and look somewhere else. But actually, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, websites generally are like the bane of a dance teacher's life. Like what dance teacher wants to spend any amount of time, you know, faffing around with websites and technology and but it's it's a business. We're running businesses and we have to serve customers, you know, and people coming to find us are potential customers.
customers. If they can't find you, if it's not great, if it's not easy, if it's not slick, then, you know, they just go somewhere else like they would in any other business. And one of the things I'm always arguing about is, you know, do we have our pricing on our website? To me, it's a no-brainer. Of course you do. Why do you not want people to have that information? If you don't have your pricing on your website, it's just a barrier. It's a barrier to entry. And I, I went to buy um, a kitchen table a year ago, and I, I wanted something a little bit different, and I spent quite a while, you know, sort of searching for what I wanted, found this gorgeous site, perfect um, bespoke tables that I was looking for. I was like, oh, these are amazing. This is what I've been spending the last hour searching for apply for prices, not a price anywhere on the website. And I was so disappointed because I was ready to buy. I was like ready to like get my order in. And I thought, I'm not doing that. I can't be bothered to ask for prices and then get into a big backwards and forwards on emails. So I just carried on looking and went somewhere else. And so when people exactly. say, oh, but but we, but we nobody else puts their prices on a website, like it, it feels uncomfortable. You know, I kind of gently ask them, why does it feel uncomfortable? Why would you not want your price on your website? Well, nobody else does. Yeah, but how, how is a somebody that's buying in the 21st century <laughs> going to take that next step if they already feel from you that there's a pushback about money? Oh, we don't, we're uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable saying how much our fees are going to be. What if another dance school sees our fees? I'm like, what, what if they do? Like, <laughs> it's, it's a bizarre concept, isn't it, that we have? Well, you know what? I think so many entrepreneurs have that collectively. And I would say in England, there's a greater layer for this. And it is um, that it's impolite to talk about things like money. I think in Australia, in America, for example, it's a little bit, it's, it's okay to be a bit more open, a bit more crude in a way sometimes about those those things. But I do see a lot of my English clients, there is this thing of it's just not polite to talk about money. And then of course, if there's that extra layer of, oh, and it should be about the love of dance. Honestly, I've heard some people think that they should not make profit out of something like a dance school, which is ridiculous because of course you should make a healthy profit, as much profit as you would like. But we have to examine our own internal biases around are we even allowed to talk about money? Is it impolite? Is it um, is it rude to to even discuss it? But there could be people who are sitting looking at different dance schools and going, not everyone's making decisions based on price for sure. But it's just information, and if we can get to a place where money is just money, um, and it, it is what it is, sometimes a confused mind says no, and they assume a price, and that might not be the right thing. And it's the same with with any part of your school, you know, like why not just tell people what kind of school you are? And I can say this again from myself as a dancer, but also as a parent who was actively searching. It is so interesting to me now, like when I was dancing, it was just like, oh, that school's kind of the bitchy school and that's the school that's more ballet and that's the friendly school. But there was no sense of those studios marketing it in that way. And I was looking for a very specific thing. I was like, I want a school that has good technique, but they're not too strict and like make you cry over it. So it's still <laughs> fun. And then I was like, and I want a school that um, doesn't necessarily have performances every, every week because I want a life and I want to be able to, you know, go go home, go away on the weekends. Um, but then I was like, but I want a school that has, you know, fun costumes and fun choreography, but they have really good technique. And so I was going to... <laughs> 
no one would do this, but I was going to those concerts going, wow, great costumes, really fun choreography, but none of those kids have pointed toes. I'm out. Because I just thought I cannot handle that. And so it's all of those little things of just be true who you are. If you're a school that's like, we are just for fun, we're no pressure, don't try and be everything for everyone. You know, be specific. And that's what people are looking for because there are some industries, there is a price point for every person. Dance school, that's one of them. There is literally a price point for every person's wallet. There is a a hair salon, a beauty salon for every person's wallet. It's just one of those things that, you know, every town, every city has. has. So you can be intentional about what that is. Mm, Yeah. And I mean, one of the things, I don't know how you feel about this, but one of the things that I coach my clients is, you know, if you genuinely feel that in your area and the schools around you that your school is the best that you you deliver the best classes your teachers are the best trained like you you class yourself as being up there you know um then you need to price yourself accordingly because people you know you, you can you can go to the local supermarket and buy a pair of trainers for 20 pounds or you can go and buy a really good quality probably a branded name for over a hundred pounds. And generally people do associate pricing with quality and what you're going to get. You know, you pay for what you get. That's something that we're all, (laughs) that we're all taught. And so if you are the very best, people will expect that you're going to, your price is going to be the very best. So when people say to me, oh, I think my pricing is really good. I don't think I need to alter my pricing. Like I'm one of the cheapest around. I kind of (laughs) go, and they're like, what, what? I'm like, we kind of want to flip that around a little bit because when you're saying I'm one of the cheapest around, you're also putting out there, I'm probably therefore one of the worst schools around. And people don't always realize that that comes across like that to to people that are looking for a school. Absolutely. Pricing is so much about perception. Um, And of course, you've got to make sure that you're looking at your prices in, is this covering my costs and profit and my time, right? Because so many dance teachers don't even consider their time as part of that. And <laughs> it's like a free cost. But if you were hiring someone to take over your class, you know, that would have a cost associated with it and you're allowed to have profit onto that. So you're totally right though. It is about perception in so many ways. And I know this for myself. When I see something that's too cheap, I'm suspicious all the time. And we think that everybody chooses things on price and they don't. And as I said, if you if you are charging appropriately for what you do and you've built in enough profit, then you can have scholarship programs. You know, mm. you can afford to be generous in ways of you know, packaging up so people can have multiple classes because then you've you've built it in. And then it's that I serve, I deserve thing mm. as well. Yeah. You've got to put your oxygen mask on first because otherwise, you know, it's just not going to, you're not going to have the longevity of it. And you'll, you'll get it resentful and nobody wants to be resentful of their clients, especially not when it's something that brings so much joy, you know. You don't want to be resenting it every kid who comes through the door because their parents don't appreciate you. And when you undercharge, you often attract people who are never happy. They never appreciate it anyway. Mm, yeah. Those people that are looking for the cheapest school around, um, you know, then often, yeah, going to be the ones that um, don't don't have that sense of value on what you're 
delivering. You know, if if people are charging for five pounds for a, an hour long class, you know, you're assuming that it's similar to taking your kids to the youth club or to brownies or, you know, to something where there's a kind of more of a, volun- a voluntary kind of teachers, you know, but when you're charging decent prices, people are then assuming, okay, this must be, we're paying professional prices, so these people must be professional. And I think, you know, I do spend a lot of time trying to kind of flip people's mindsets around that. And yeah, and a lot of what I've learned, I've learned from your books and the things that you train. And so we're all benefiting greatly from you here in the UK, Denise. (laughs) Well, even if you think of, you know, what I mentioned about the leadership skills and I've never seen people put that on their websites, the dance dance schools, of this isn't just an hour of your kid's time. You know, this is so valuable and these are skills that will last them forever. I would love to see more adult testimonials on dance, dance teachers' websites. I'll send one to my dance teacher to say, you know, this has helped me in my career. This is beyond dancing. This has helped me in so many ways for my confidence and for, um, you know, my leadership skills and my organization skills. Nobody, like my my mum didn't teach me how to organize anything, but I had to, you know, do my own costumes and organize myself for classes. You know, that's that's taught me so much as well. And I've never seen that on anyone's site to, that goes beyond just this would be a bit of fun. Yes, and it, yeah, it's not. Yeah, and it's in fact, so much more than that. totally, yeah, and in fact, one of the last shows that I did, well, the last show that I did before, um, just a couple of years ago, I passed my school on to somebody else. Um, we did a big twenty fifth year anniversary, and I got a whole bunch of alumni students to do me a little short video um, of what they're doing now, how dance has helped them, but. Yeah, but particularly how they've taken those skills through life. And, you know, they would be amazing to now. We had them on a like a video, a montage that came in like at the beginning of the show, just before the interval. Like we just kind of dotted them in between the show as lovely kind of um, videos that came down on a projector. It was just a celebration of the the legacy of the school. Um, but they would be fantastic to have on a website. So if if People that are listening, you know, little tip for today, you know, go and um, get in touch with past students, get them to do a testimonial about how it's helped them in life in general. And yeah, I mean, stick it on your website, have have those testimonials so that people can actually see. Absolutely. Wow. Actually, we're not paying for childcare here. <laughs> we're paying for life skills. No, absolutely. And you know what I think is even more important now than it was when I was dancing is um, the bullying aspect and the online aspect because I know when there was things going on in my friendship group, as there always is, um, dancing was always a place where I had friends outside of school and it was there was no bullying. There was no anything to think about for those hours that I was there. And now more than ever, kids need a respite from that. They need a respite from what's going on at school, um, from online stuff, from all of that bullying that can happen. Um, And I want my kids to have friends outside of their classroom as well. So then there's always someone else. And, you know, I'm friends today with those girls that I did dancing with. We never were at the same school together. And I think, um, you know, there's there's some marketing aspects to be done around that too. You know, you can write articles about it. You can put that in your newsletter to say like, this is a safe space for your kid to come and 
have other friends and interests outside of school. So they're not just sitting on their iPad, you know, if you're worried about things like that. That honestly was so helpful for me. And in, the internet wasn't even around when I was in high school. Yeah, very powerful messages, I think, um, you know, to, to your current parents when we're trying to hang on to them and they're thinking, oh, you know, do we pay another another terms fees? Maybe they could go and try something else, you know. So to have those nice little gentle reminders, drip feeding those reminders into newsletters, like you said, um, but then also as marketing, marketing tools. Um, fantastic tips we're giving everybody today. Yes, and <laughs> I'm sure... I was going to say, I'm sure you already talk about this with your students, but the thing that flabbergasts me often is how the school that um, my kid goes to, amazing in so many ways, like professional teacher, blah, 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 but their payment systems are so bad. They don't have any direct payment. They send out one reminder in January at the start of the year, and then they never remind you again. And I'm always in week three or four going, have I paid my fees? I can't even remember. Oh, how much is it again? I have to go back to that thing. And I think there's no excuse now when there's so many great tools and technology and things like that, there's no excuse for not making it easy for people to pay you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a huge part of what I try to help people with. I have yeah. a whole have a whole sure. 10 week course around this, helping them get onto a more automated um, system that's actually not just for them to run their business more slick, but more for the clients, actually, for their, well, for the clients, for their yeah. students and their families. Make it um, easy. Absolutely. And, you know, somebody said to me, a business mentor of mine said to me a couple of years ago, you know, the one thing, sadly, that is the driving factor of whether people will come to your studio or someone else isn't necessarily where you trained, isn't necessarily your pricing, isn't even necessarily how nice your studio is, it's how convenient it is for them. And it's, you know, it's convenience in in terms of, like you mentioned earlier, can I park? Am I going to have to walk 500 yards in the rain every time I bring my kid to dance? You know, is it easy to pay? Am I going to constantly be hassled for payments? Because I'm the parent that always forgets to get my checkbook out. Not that we have checkbooks anymore, but, um, you know, it's, it's, convenience, convenience, convenience. And in my membership, we do a monthly training. um, And I did a whole training on how to make everything for your parents and students as convenient as possible. And people were like, oh, I never thought about that. Oh, I never thought that that would be easier for them. Um, So yeah. And I think even though you're from a dance background and you would be that dedicated mum that would be like, if it's the right school, like I want, I will do anything. But even so, you're still saying, but uh, the convenience is huge for me. It's right up there. So you know what? This is my dream, right? As well, if anyone wants to do this as an idea, adults classes at the same time as kids classes. That would be my dream because (laughs) if I have to drop them off anyway, I may as well do a 45 minute class too. So anyone, if, if you have adults classes, please make that happen because I don't want to come back at 7.30 at night. That's when I want to watch TV. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things, because I ran several branches of my school across the southwest of the UK, but I also had a franchise, a theatre school that I uh, um, purchased. And so that was a whole big chunk of time on a Saturday morning. The kids came for like three hours. And one year we decided to do um, like a flash mob parents dance. And the parents literally at the end, just before we did our kind of flowers and awards and stuff at the end of our show, um, 
the parents from the audience got up and started dancing and, and the kids were like, oh, didn't know anything about it. It was fantastic. It was, again, one of the last shows that I did before I sold my franchise. And so we had to do these rehearsals with these parents to learn this dance and we didn't want the kids knowing about it. So we they would drop their kids off, they'd go into their classes and then the parents would all sneak into a little corridor around the corner where none of the kids knew that the parents were still there and they'd do this hour's rehearsal leading up to the show. And so many of them said, can we not make this like a regular class? Because it's so easy. Like we've dropped the kids off. We're only going to go and wander around, do our grocery shopping or take the dog for a walk or try and amuse our toddler whilst, you know, Emily's in in, in the theatre school exactly. for the next three hours. So um, we unfortunately didn't have any more premises because as I said, we were in the corridor. <laughs> so it wasn't that easy, but certainly people that have that space, what a great idea, you know, maximize. Oh, I would... I would love it. I honestly would. Um, but yeah, alas, no one does it. <laughs> so there we go, everybody. There's several tips that you've got now. Denise, this has been so much fun. I could talk to you all day, but I do know that you're an incredibly busy, busy person. Um, what I quite like to finish with, if it's okay with you, is just a little bit of fun with a few kind of quick fire, silly questions. I don't know if that's okay with you. If you're up I with love that. it, but I have to warn you, often people try and do this with me and they're like, just a one word answer. And I'm like, no, no, I have a whole story for this. No, but go, go ahead. We'll see how I'll try and. Okay. Okay. So here we go. I have to look at my notepad as I forget all of these. Um, best or, or most favorite business book for you? The one that changed my life, I think, the most was The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. I read that in my 20s and it really informed for me how I wanted to run my business. So that was definitely the most influential. Mm, it's kind of set you up right at the start as to how you want to do it. So I need to say to everyone, you need to read Denise's books <laughs> to set you up as your mindset ready for how you're going to run your business, especially if you're just starting out a business. Um, Favourite place in the world? Oh God, that's so hard. I my personal one at the moment is my farm. So I ha I have a house by the beach and I have a farm in the country that's a rose farm. I love and looking at your rose farm on the website. It's on my it's on my um manifesting vision board to come to Rose Farm one day. Sorry, Carrot, tell everybody yeah. about your farm. Yeah. No, it, it's just it's a really lovely, very English cottage style which is really fun and it's just yeah it's, it's really my happy place I love being there it's a very special place for me and you run retreats from there I think don't you well I I ran one just before the pandemic and I've only been able to run one since right. I was supposed to run about six since but luckily it's my own venue so it's not too stressful to to change it but I do have have one this year and one next year and then I'm hoping to do them four times a year once it all settles down. But I'm also renovating the barn so I can have a big conference there. Amazing. Oh, that would be mm. so special. Yes, that's definitely going on my vision board. Um, yes. One thing in life that you still want to achieve or do? I would like, this is my secret dream, um, I am writing a memoir and I would love to see it made into a movie and a musical. Oh, we love that. We love yes. that. <laughs> so I'm writing the book with the book with the musical and the movie in mind. How amazing. And so who would play you? 
Well, I really love Amy Schumer. I think she's so fabulous. Um, yeah, I one of my friends said that Rebel Wilson should do it. <laughs> she's Australian after all. And she can sing, which I cannot sing, but if you put someone in a musical, you have to they have to be able to sing. Yeah. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could have the person who played you in the film also be in the musical like for the first year? That would be a pretty cool USP, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be so fun. And I actually bought a book. It was like how to write a musical. Um, and I'm just, I'm really, it's just up here at the moment because I have so many other projects on. I'm waiting for them all to move out and then I can just focus, immerse myself in it. But it was really fun because I started doing the questions. It's like, you know, what's the theme of your musical and what's the color and put together a dream board of images. And it's really fun. I think it will be a really fun creative process to go through that. Um, and personally, I've recently invested in a musical. So I really want to um, go into that world more. You know, like I'm obviously way too old to be a performer now. But it's for me, I just want to be able to be part of that world because it's so important. You know, it's such an important part, of, part my of my life. life. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love going to see musicals. So investing in a musical was a really great next step. And also, you know, wanting to do that in the future would be really fun so that's my bucket list oh that would be so fun I'm not available for the next year because I'm totally immersed in writing a musical how fun would that year be (laughs) yeah it really would and you know I was in Sydney um so I live in Newcastle which is a couple of hours out of um Sydney and we don't have a lot of big shows that come here so I always go to Sydney and now because I invest in musicals I get invited to musicals for premieres so um I just went to the premiere of Mary Poppins the revival of Mary Poppins and I was you know there and I just went I was just planting some seeds I'm like well this would be a great place for me to have my debut musical in some time in the future so it's just little little things like that where I just think yeah you've got to plant those seeds. Mm. You know, if you want to write a book, you've got to visualise the book on the bookshelves. And And I feel like we could do a whole Mm. podcast separately on that whole topic of (laughs) manifesting and visualising. Definitely. Another time. Another time. I'll get you back. (laughs) And so what would you say? Oh, let's do a really easy one. Favourite ice cream. That's not easy. No, um, I love Hokey Pokey. Do you guys have Hokey Pokey there? No, it's what? basically like vanilla ice cream with little balls of um, honeycomb oh. and like little balls of toffee. It's kind of like English toffee but without the caramelly thing. Sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. Although that's quite funny you call it Hokey Pokey because I've just come off um, teaching on a cruise ship. I just did a quick little um, two, three weeks for a friend who um, asked me to go on and, and do some teaching. And that was part of manifesting, actually. I started to manifest oh, about, fun. yeah, I started to manifest about six months ago that I wanted to travel. Obviously, we're all desperate to now, you know, start to open our wings again. I wanted to travel more, um, but I wanted to be paid to do it. You know, I wanted to go on some an amazing holiday, um, but get paid. So it didn't cost me a penny. And in fact, I was going to bring in abundance of money for doing it. Um, and it, one of my things on my bucket list one day, you know, down the line is to do some more guest speaking and to, to travel and be paid to guest speak around the country or around the world even. Um, and so I started to manifest this. Um, and then literally within six months, I was asked to go on a cruise around the Norwegian fjords and all the way around Scandinavia and get paid for it and take a guest for free. So it's literally wow. like, 
Whoa, not quite the guest speaking, but that's obviously, you know, on <laughs> it's coming, it's coming. Um, so yeah, that's that was that's my little recent success story about manifesting. Um, I so, love it. That's not little, that's huge, that's really big. Yeah, yeah. And it's so I'm going to keep on with it because it's working well for me at the moment. Um, and okay, sometimes just, you just have to ask as well, you know, it's sometimes it's going, what this is what I want, and articulating it is part of. A part of it, acknowledging that you even want that is big. And then sometimes you can't deny things happen behind the scenes to to kind of make that a, a reality. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, that's obviously all in the first book in Lucky Bit. It is, yeah. people, people can learn lots more about that if they're interested in that, can't they? Um, okay, absolutely. last question. Scariest thing you've ever done? Yes, this is very easy. Um, so when I won that all expenses paid trip around the world, um, one of the places we went to was Queensland, Australia. And I was very, very scared of sharks. And we had to do several photo shoot things in, in the ocean. And it was really, 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 really scary. Um, but I actually did a lot of um, tapping, you know, EFT. Mm-hmm. which I, I teach a lot of, to help me overcome my fear of the ocean. Um, and now I can swim, no problem. But it was very scary to go into the wide op- open ocean in Australia. Yeah. I, we can't, can't get our heads around that here in the UK because we don't have anything scary. I've just come back from Costa Rica. I went on a fabulous retreat, um, a soul reset retreat in the middle of the oh, jungle wow. in Costa Rica, yoga and meditation and a whole load of stuff. And it was just fantastic. But the snakes, the bugs, the ants, and most of the people that went on the retreat were from America. And although they didn't have all the scary things, they still have quite a few. They were a lot, a lot of them were from Texas. And they're like, yeah, we have scorpions and snakes and everything else. And I was like the crazy English woman that was like running indoors because there was a mosquito, you know, they just thought I was hysterical. Um, and I was lucky enough to come to um, Australia a, a couple of years ago. My business coach was in Australia um, and um, also to New Zealand. My best friend lives in New Zealand. But when I came to Australia, I went to um, one of the ladies that I was with on the business retreat was from Byron Bay. And she said, come and stay with me for a couple of days. Because otherwise I was flying to Australia for literally four days, <laughs> which is a bit bad. So I went, it, yeah. In, yeah, went and stayed in Byron Bay and she took me all around, all along the coast. And, and she was literally like, yeah, so this is the beach where we have the most people die when they're surfing from sharks. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Like people and really crocodiles too. I like people They're actually die. Like I couldn't quite get my my head around that. She's like, well, yeah, sharks. <laughs> it was just a bit alien. A bit alien. Not my not my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can understand why that would have been scary. But um, oh, Denise, thank you so much. It's been so much fun chatting to you today. I'm yeah. sure everybody's got. Some great tips, some great, you know, hopefully boosted the confidence a little bit, helped them with that mindset. Um, I know I shall be shouting about your book everywhere. When can oh, we start, when can we start buying the new book? So you can pre-order it now. Um, it comes out, I think, the 19th of July. Um, and it will be in paperback and audio and Kindle as well. So people can pre-order that now and get bonuses now. So if you go to denisedt.com slash prosper, 
um, as in Chile and Prosper, just Prosper, there's a ton of pre-order bonuses there. And we're going to do a live book club in July and we're going to have super, super fun. So even if you're listening to this some way time in the future, you'll still get bonuses. But if you pre-order it, there's some special stuff as well. Fantastic. Awesome. So I'm going to do a big push and let everybody know about that for you in the next couple Aww. of weeks. Well, it that- means a lot to me for people in the dance world to buy it. And I'm sure one day in the future, there's definitely a dance business book in me because it's, I'm just so passionate about it. And I just, I want everyone listening to know that you're allowed to love dance and still make money. Oh, thank you. And what a fabulous last sentence to finish on. Denise, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you with us today. Thanks, Deb. So that's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Ultimate Dance Business Podcast. Of course, you can come and find me in Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and on YouTube. But the real magic happens within my membership. Sparks, Ignite or Illuminate. There's one for each one of you, depending on your level of investment, time and motivation. So check out the website dancebusinesslab.com. Click on work with me and let's see if we can really start to make a difference. Are you looking to get precious time back in your life so you can make more time doing the things you love? DanceBiz is a class management and booking software from the lovely folk at Think Smart that will automate and streamline all your dance school admin. It's the perfect tool for all those tasks that just seem to take so long and will help you to work smarter, not harder. Message me today, folks, and I can give you a code so you can get two months free.